The views and opinions of Southern Fried Philosophy are not necessarily those of our guests, sponsors, or friends of the show, but they should be. This week on the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, Shark Week gets out of hand. We talk about Trump anxiety disorder and Matt Singleton with a new look for an old world. All that and more on this episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, where it's two guys take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy, and you, the listener, are getting a degree in common sense. We are broadcasting from the Busted Knuckle Studio right here in beautiful downtown historic Concord, North Carolina. I'll be your host, Biggin, and how about you? We've got a great show lined up for you, as always, but before we begin, let me introduce you to the second half of this flaky biscuit. That's right, I am talking about the pride of Anderson, South Carolina, but most of you probably know him best as the silver-tongued one, the man that recently returned from the war on straws, the inventor of the redneck egg roll. Give it up on old mic number one, it's Mojo! Speaking of straws, I'm sitting here sipping my water with a bendy straw, acting all all rebellious. Get crazy with it. It's getting weird out here. Thanks for listening to the Southern Pride Philosophy Podcast. You can uh, go to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Uh, make sure you subscribe, give us a like, a review, share your favorite episodes. Go to Also go to southernpridephilosophy.com. That's our web website on the mm-hmm. interwebs there. Uh, go to Facebook at Southern Pride Philosophy. Also, Twitter's and Instagram at SFP Radio. YouTube.com, SFP Radio, forward slash... I think I held all my legal obligations there. <laughs> also, don't forget to check out our Patreon link at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash SFP radio. If you have like a couple extra bucks that you want to throw our way for... Uh, I'm going to skip Starbucks for a day. I would, we would really appreciate it. Help support the show. So if you love the show, if you like what you hear, shoot us a couple bucks uh, every month. We would really appreciate it. We're still looking for old number one to, to come through for us. Um, and some other business meeting stuff. If you would like to check out the show, email us at sfpradio at gmail.com. You can sit here with us and the lights are low. Um, the, the music right and we've got it feeling all night so uh you can come check us out i'm sure we probably can squeeze a, a growler from red hill brewery or yeah uh, something something like that something like that maybe have like some tasty cakes or some something like that that'd be or good. some donuts some downtown donuts oh golly don't even get me started um please i, I will, i'm gonna beg you please just if you like an episode just like it share it review you know send us a review things that you like please do that also we want to say What's up to uh, a listener in Indianapolis, Indiana? Hey, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you doing that. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, like I ask you every week, Mojo, how you be doing? I'm doing great. Uh, besides the uh, torrential uh, Ooh, downpours, hey buddy, it is. Uh, <sighs> you need your galoshes. It's wet. Yeah. It don't stop. Every day it feels like it's just pouring. I think they're calling for rain for the next 700 days or something like that. Yeah. It's. Let me ask you this question: Are you starting to build that that arc? <laughs> Two by two. Oh man, it's brutal. Ugh. Oh man, I, luckily, or I might have to think about jumping into the boat business mm. if it keeps up like this. Yeah, sell the bikes, buy the boats. Yeah, something like that. Actually, so. not really. Sell the boats, buy the bikes at Busted Knuckle Studio. There you go. <laughs> the Busted Knuckle. Where do people go if they want to? Uh, uh, just go on the Facebooks, look at Busted Knuckle. Okay, uh, that's motor, it. Busted Knuckle Motorcycles. Yeah, I'm working on a website. I'm kind of slow right now. <laughs> So that's all right. How you be doing? I'm good. Uh, another another day, another dollar goes to fix my AC. So that mm. should be 
pumping here nice and cold Friday. Good gravy. Friday is when I predicted. It's like three weeks without AC downstairs. Yeah. This humidity is killing me. Like, I know you talked about the the rain, but, dude, I'll go outside, and I'm soaked when I get back in. It's nuts. At least it was nice Monday when uh, you had your uh, cigar bourbon club. Yep. We had a good time with that. Yep. Um, so was, hey, at buddy. Was, at, least it was, uh, at least it was not humid that day. Or not too bad. <laughs> that party, can I just tell you, that wrapped up at around 1130. <laughs> we, we enjoyed the evening. There you uh, go. With, uh, by the way, we did have some cigars from uh, uh, Southern, Southern Grace, Grace Distilleries, which they're kicking out their new cigar. They're dipped in uh, um, conviction. the conviction bourbon, whether it's tobacco leaves and they're really good, so yeah, I, I think it. they're releasing them on the tenth. So, um, oh, so you got an early release. We did. We had an early, early release. So if you want to go check them out, go. They're having a release party on eight ten. So if you want to go check them out at Southern Grace Distilleries, they're having a big party and that oh, kind of wow. stuff. It'd be okay. kind of fun. So um, anyway, um, we're going to go into some wacky news brought to you by Webmerize. If you want a clean, crisp website, go check them out at webmerize.com. That's webmerize.com. That wacky world. Um, so it's it's well documented that I am a fraternity member of the Fat Five Fat. Um, <laughs> so I can say this without getting in trouble. Fat tourists are crippling the donkeys that carry them around the Greek island of Santorini, forcing locals to crossbreed them with mules to make them sturdier. <laughs> the donkeys uh, that that climb up the pis the piscar. Picturesque, there we go, picturesque, Greek island of Santorini are being crippled by carrying heavy holiday holiday makers at local resorts. Um, about 1,200 tourists come to visit the, the small island, and because the obesity rate has tripled for the U.S., U.K., and some other place, um, their mules are, are, their donkeys are getting rubbed raw by Bad saddles and things like that. I'm going to show you a picture, dude. It's it's actually kind of disgusting. Look at that. Oh my god, poor animal. Look at that thing. Like I'm not a guy that gets the heartstrings tickled on a on an animal story, but let me just show you, Big Mama, what what on that donkey. Hey, buddy. If you if you are, I'm not a judgmental person, but Jesus. <laughs> Big Mama What What should not be somebody needs to open up on a, this donkey. Uh, yeah, somebody needs to open up a CrossFit gym or something in that village. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, yeah. I mean, so they're they're having to crossbreed the donkeys with the horses to create mules um, so that they can carry heavier people because because we're getting fatter. Jeez. Oh, Y'all. Y'all. <laughs> donkeys are very resilient animals and will keep going for as long as they can. But in this case, they can't keep going anymore. Good gravy, y'all. Poor animals. Big mama what what. She she don't need to be doing that. I mean, look, I'm a person of size. I totally get that. I understand the issues on, on airplanes. I don't want to sit next to a fat person either because I'm already taking up one and a half seats. So, but y'all, like, I know better not to get on a donkey. I know that. Some of y'all just need some well, That's probably some the Uber there. 
Wait, what? That's probably the Uber there. <laughs> or why don't you try hiking up the thing? Yeah. You yeah. know, or just walking, but don't make a donkey. Don't get on a donkey. <sighs> Listen, I don't get on a horse because I feel bad for that sucker. Yo. I don't, I don't get on a horse because I feel bad for it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they said that they want to limit it to what they call eight stones, mm-hmm. which is like 14 pounds, roughly. 14 pounds of stone. Yeah. yeah. So so it would be like 100 and what, 150, 140 100, pounds. Math, yeah. yeah, somewhere around that ballpark. But who's 140 pounds? Let me ask that question. Yeah. For but for a donkey though, I mean horses are yeah. obviously carry more. Donkeys a little different. Right. So they're they're making new mules. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah. gravy. Y'all. So So I guess the donkey, I guess Jesus weighed 140 pounds. I guess so. Or he had a proper saddle that didn't, yeah, didn't, true. didn't do that. Um, y'all, this Shark Week has gone a little bit crazy. Three people have allegedly stole a, a shark from a Texas aquarium by disguising it as a baby in a stroller. There's a video of a guy that it was like one of those aquariums that you could pet the animals. Right. So it's, it's like a horned shark. It's yeah. 18 inches long. So... You know, not not a huge thing, but the dude evidently was loving his Shark Week a little bit too much and wanted to take one home. So he put one, wrapped it up, uh, and put it in a baby stroller and walked out of <laughs> of the aquarium. He got it back to uh, his house. They opened up the garage and he had uh, an aquarium that looked just like the one that oh, wow. he got it out of. Wow! So I mean, this guy knew what he was doing. He had other animals that were in that aquarium, but hey, buddy. Uh, he stole a shark. I, I, I just want to know how he kept it alive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, he must have had some type of apparatus in the stroller or yeah. something. Yeah, they I got guess. him in the back of the truck. The truck had some water. So, Jeez. I mean, they rushed out of there, threw him in the back of that truck, had some water, and then got him to the aquarium. They thought that he was gonna. they were going to find the shark dead. Or eaten. And, <laughs> and in, in fact, it wasn't. There, it was a theft between $750 to $2,500. I mean, I feel like you can if you can buy a shark for seven hundred fifty. You know what? I, I, you know what? I say flip the script, plot twist. Mm-hmm. I say hire this guy at the aquarium. <laughs> if he can keep it, if he keep it that long, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he obviously knows his stuff. So look, just hire him. Yeah, maybe. Um, my last story is teenagers. This hmm. is what this is what I'm telling you, teenagers. Cut the crap, y'all. I have one. The, has she heard about the hot water challenge? Yeah, she said it was old. I asked her about it today. She Already? Goes, oh, that's old. Already, uh, I think it's well. It it happened last year, but it, I think that it's starting to make its rounds again. Oh, so the hot water challenge, y'all. We we didn't think that it was bad enough to eat Tide Pods. Now they're the kids are boiling water, boiling water, and dumping them on on the, either themselves or friends or right. things like that. Kids are dying because of this. People are scarred for life because of this. All because you think it's it's funny. Like I don't, y'all. Y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Cut the crap. <laughs> this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, this poor kid, this kid was sleeping. Look at look at his face. Yeah, he was actually ha- has taken taken to the hospital has second degree burns on his face, face stomach, ears, everywhere. I mean, yeah. Basically, so basically some stupid challenge. I guess they saw on Instagram, YouTube, something, yeah, yeah. and basically has now ruined his life. The kid's obviously not going to be the same. Probably have a little trauma from it. He's yeah. be, I mean, obviously, I, I, if you've ever burnt your hand before, and then you go try to run it under hot water the next day, yeah. it hurts. Now, so this kid's going to have sensitivity issues for the rest of his life. 
teenagers, when adults are telling you to do the laundry or take a hot shower, this is not, not what we have in mind. Yeah. Y'all. You know, someone said today if we if we uh, took away all automatic transmissions and put manual shifts and we just wrote in cursive, we would probably eliminate half the generation. <laughs> <laughs> we're putting so many so- safeguards around things, we're not letting Darwin actually work and let let the population kill themselves. The fit, yeah, fit, uh, survival strong, of the strong, Yeah, survival of the fittest. <laughs> Between the both of us, we might actually get a sentence. Uh, That's why it right. takes two to make a podcast. <laughs> Do you have any news? I will save it for next Okay. Week. All right. So uh, we will go into a hot topic, Trump, and we're going to talk about 3D printed guns. Mm. Mm. Here we go. So last week we talked about 3D printed guns, and I, I got to tell you, I've thought about it. I'm not going to say I prayed about it, but I thought about it. Right. And I am coming down on this side of I think that he should be able to to put those out on the interwebs. That's been a really hot topic this Which, week. Which, uh, ironically, Trump tweeted this morning. Um, I think I saw it probably around 11 o'clock, maybe 12 o'clock, that he's actually conducting. Uh, he's going to. I guess some part of his administration started looking into it that maybe not having 3D printed guns, but uh-huh. well, obviously he spoke to the NRA and then he spoke to, I guess some of his advisors and he's going to try to look into it. I, obviously I'm, I'm not anti-Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm independent, but if he does side, come down on the side of this, I think it's wrong. Uh, the one court has already ruled that this is a freedom of speech because mm-hmm. it comes to written code or productive code. So, um, but you know, obviously, making things illegal makes the world much better. I mean, heroin. <laughs> the, the, I go back to my case at class, uh, Kasich, <laughs> my classic case for heroin. Says heroin's illegal. No one does it, so sure. therefore it must work. But what what this doesn't take into account is um, the blockchain that's emerging right now. The anonymous blockchain. This mm. blockchain cloud that we have with Bitcoin and stuff is based on C- countries cannot regulate that. Yeah. So obviously plans will be available through that. Right. What about if, you know, like the legal gun trade now where you have hard guns that have been manufactured that you can go and buy them on the streets illegally. So mm. and, and re- just take that, replace that, and all of a sudden you'll be able to buy thumb drives with with plans for guns on them. So yeah. you can print them at home or you... It, it'll, you'll never be able to stop the problem. Right. So, well, here's here's kind of what changed my mind was just the fact that the deal is is that it is knowledge. It's basically just a, a document, uh, if you will. So, so the government doesn't have a right where it falls down on the freedom of speech thing. It's n- they're not making the 3D printed guns. They're just saying here's the information out sure. there. So, for for me, it's more of an information issue instead of a hey we're going to print out guns for for folks so the other part is is that even if you print out the plastic piece with a 3d printer you still have to have metal things in it 
that will fire it. So you still have to have a metal barrel. You still have to have uh, springs and things like that. So it can't 3D print those things. So this this argument that, it, oh, it's completely undetectable, that's not true. No. Like you got to have metal pieces with it. And even the bullet is going to have some metal now, aluminum or whatever. Right. You know, but still, like you've got to have metal pieces to that. But the guns that are being printed right now are have short shelf lives. They're either single shot, mm-hmm. throw away, or yeah. they're, they blow up in four shots. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yep. it's not like... Um, these things are something where you're going to be able to print them off and then drop, be dropped in the middle of Syria to fight ISIS. I mean, these are <laughs> these are guns that are not per- perfect right now. But I'm sure in a few years they'll advance. And obviously when 3D printers become more and more uh, affordable online where you can actually use different composites, metals, things like that, then obviously this may be something where the IR will be stirred up again as far as being able to make you know, complete clones of metal guns. But yeah. until then, I, I, you know, this right now, like I said, it's just an information thing. But once again, yeah. even if you outlawed the information, there's still going to be people out there that has the that have mm-hmm. the information that gets it out to the black market somehow. Right. Yeah. Hence the reason why heroin is illegal, but we still have heroin on the drugs or yeah. on the streets that are flooding, being flooded in America. So just because you make it illegal, just makes it mean it just means you make it illegal for people that are responsible. Yeah, so the other thing that <laughs> we'll, we'll play this in the background. <laughs> the other thing that they were saying is that for it's it's even cheaper to just buy a gun than to buy the 3D printer and the material at, and the materials and, and things the like time that. Time to print it out. That right now in the U.S. there's at least like there's about three hundred thousand 3D printers that can actually do it. Um, if you look at that at a per capita for. Uh, increase in gun sales, it would be 0.086. If every one of those 3D printers printed out a 3D gun, it would be 0.08% per capita of the the gun sales that are out there. So bottom line, it's cheaper just to go ahead and buy a gun. Even if you can't get a gun, legally, as you and I have both stated, you can still go buy one, you know, just illegally. That's that's the difference. It'll never never stop that. Yeah. But people that take – but honestly – I have a friend of mine who who cannot purchase a weapon. He is an ex-felon who, you know, opinions will vary on that, but he's an ex-felon from 20 years ago, cannot purchase mm-hmm. a gun now. So he has the option of A, buying, it, buying a gun illegally, or B, using something alternative. He's gone alternative methods. Mm-hmm. You know, granted, you have a pretty good chance if you decide to break into his house because he's going to probably whip out a crossbow <laughs> but, or some other method, a sure. baseball bat, but he's yeah. he's opted for that. He's opted not to purchase a firearm illegally. And most people, a lot of people will do that. They will mm. take their freedom responsibly because they don't want to go back and repeat that. Or, right. or, or people that have never even been inside jail will take take that responsibly or take that their freedom responsible where they won't do anything illegal. You're looking at such a small populate amount of population right. that do things illegally that yeah. we we have to punish the masses just because we have to we have to take away our liberty for a little bit of extra security. Yeah. And you get no, you get neither in, in in tow there. The other thing is and I, I haven't checked this out so I I'll I'll plead ignorance on this one, but what I'm being told is it's already it's already legal to assemble your own gun. So you can kind of make your own gun anyway. Yeah, already. you can order, you know, uh, a few years ago when uh, untrace, untra- untraceable guns, what they, what they actually called ghost guns. The, a true ghost gun, you, you can order parts. You can actually order a whole gun from one website unassembled, mm-hmm. you know, then assemble it. It, yeah. it will have, it's just parts. It's just like a Lego box. Mm-hmm. Or you can or, order now, you can order or, 
if one company produces a great lower and a, and a, another company produces the great barrel and a, an upper, you can you can kind of piecemeal your, your mm-hmm. guns. They're pretty much interchange. A lot of them are interchangeable. So, yeah. yeah, I mean you can you can do that. It's like uh, like I said, it's like a it's like a Lego block kit. You just assemble it. Yeah, one of the th- things I thought were was funny was. Uh, some of the uh, politicians were saying, well, you can't make plastic guns. You can't make plastic guns. But if you look at a SIG 320, the whole thing is plastic yeah. already. So, yeah. like, do you not know anything about guns? Like, they're not I th- metal. The politicians that get up and do the fear fear pandering, sure. yeah. I think I, a lot of these guys have probably never held a gun. Yeah. They've never seen marijuanas. They've never mm-hmm. – uh, They've never actually talked to a prostitute. You know, these, yeah. these people, they, they make wide assumptions – uh, based off their own ignorance, and in California, the guys in California are, <laughs> gave great comedic relief as far as uh, their their ignorance to anything. Second Amendment, First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, um, take yeah. any of them. They just they, they're they're ignorant, and all they're trying to do is plead to some of their ignorant base. Speaking about um, complete ignorance, and we kind of teased this at the beginning. What about this this war on straws, y'all? Y'all, when did I think I think you're going to see? A huge uprise by disability lobbyists. Yep, I completely agree with that. I, they're gonna they're gonna make that a medical medical grade bendy straw. It's but they can't even do that because the purpose of a disposable straw is to to eliminate bacteria, debris, mm-hmm. things like that. But think of, think the quality of life a straw yeah. gives to a person who is unable, impaired to actually pick up a cup. And this yeah. is not me just trying to blow this out of proportion, but sure. I'm saying that yeah. the disability advocates and lobbyists, well, they're going to have a heyday in mm-hmm. court with, with these states and cities that, that ban a straw because there's really no alternative out there for something so simple. Yeah. So I, I – And it's going to be so hard because all these companies that that's their only thing they do are going to go out of business. So then that's going to drive up the price of yeah. a straw – and then it's going to be fifteen dollars for a bendy straw, like y'all. You know the, the pol- these policies that <laughs> come I'm trying on. to choose the right word. Come on. These policies that morons actually make. You are right that they. These are the same people that their cities have seen a spike in homelessness because of their um, ability to offer so much grants and and benefits and security nets for the homeless community. Um, other cities actually give them bus homeless people bus tickets to go to these certain cities because they've made it a sanctuary for homeless people. These are the same people that the homeless now are crapping on the streets and they have serial pooper patrols. <laughs> and these are the ones that are banning straw. So when I, you know... Well, well, let me back up just a little bit. These are the same people that has convinced the American public that that making plastic bags is much better for the world than it is paper bags. Right. Because paper bags will decompose in a landfill. We can, you know, put or dirt you can over recycle. It and re- yeah. yeah. But you what are you going to do with these plastic bags? They float all over. I can't tell you how many I hit just coming over yeah. here. But you know, these are the same people that think it's a good idea if, instead of allowing a person to make a own personal decision. Well, they talk about body rights, but mm-hmm. then tax the hell out of soda. Because they think that sugar is, you know, which sugar is not great. But I'm saying mm-hmm. that, that someone sh- someone should have the right to do what they want to with their body w- when it comes to women's rights. Mm-hmm. But a person can't go buy a big gulp of 7-Eleven without being taxed. Right. It, it, their, their logic is so flawed. It's 
It's, yeah. It almost wants me to take this toothpick I have right here and just start jabbing my eyeball. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only relief. I just don't get yeah. it. I, I'm I'm at a loss for words. The straw, getting the straw, rid of the yeah. straw. But the straw thing, I mean, I, I just I can't imagine like hospitals. The the amount of straws a mm. hospital uses yeah. a day for their patients is disposable. Yeah. It's hypoallergenic. It's mm-hmm. it's safe. And all of a sudden they're going to ban straws. So yeah. The hospital can't. I mean, what are we going to do? Start. I, are we going to have a 3D printer for straws? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> there, there may be. I don't know. But, I mean, even at the Disney store, they're making you pay 99 cents for a bag to carry all your stuff out of. Yeah. Like, y'all. But, I mean, you look you look at the, st- the straw issue. I, I do agree that maybe restaurants can say, hey, would you like a straw or not? And, mo- and most of, restaurants do. I mean, instead of – but I've been to one where they've already put it in there. Yeah. They've left, left the – the top on whatever sure. of the so you got to pull, but I mean, just ask if you want a straw, sure. you know. But I mean, don't demonize a freaking straw, y'all. It's insane. And actually, the 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 study that they're using to base this off of was, I think, a study that a, a nine yeah. year a nine, a nine year old, year old did. nine year old did for like a class project, I yeah. believe. I and I'm pretty sure that he came well, back and said that the math was completely I, wrong. I'm pretty sure that actually real scientists <laughs> and maybe a couple of real mathematicians actually came back and debunked it, yeah. but. But that's all right, though. We're going to take the, you know, we're going to change city and public policy based off of a nine-year-old's opinion. But I go back to the plastic bags. Like, I hate those stupid plastic bags. Get rid of those. If you really want to save the planet, get rid of plastic bags. I hate them things. Go back to paper. (sighs) Y'all. Because at least a tree will grow back, right? Like, it doesn't but, make you know, any dang it, sense. It, well, in fact, like your, you know, your local, like our recycling bins here locally, mm-hmm. you can't even recycle the plastic bags. Yeah, you can't. Uh, you got to take them to the, to the, the to back store. to the store yep. to recycle them. And I don't even know what they do with them. They might just put them in a massive landfill, too, <laughs> <laughs> dedicated to shopping bags. Oh, my gosh. There's, only so, much, there's only so much cat turds you can put in, you know, yeah. and clean the cat litter box. <laughs> All right, so hey, look you there. Hey, look who's back for the show. We have hey. our pastor Justin Wallace just walking into the studio. Thanks for coming, Justin. Hey, it's good to be here. You came in at the right time because we're going to talk on this uh, this story. U.S. therapists see an increase in patients with Trump anxiety disorder. Uh, <laughs> uh, therapists say that there's been a rise in anxiety streaming from the country's politics and it's being called quote Trump anxiety disorder um, the symptom or disorder is a feeling though the world is going to end wow um, it's very disor- disorienting and constantly unsettling uh, you just you go through the whole your whole life and think that um, the world's going to end wow what do you think about that Man. Trump anxiety disorder. Well, it was previously known in 2008 and 2012 as the Obama disorder. <laughs> <laughs> it just switches names every I'll four tell years. you what, therapy right now is good business. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to they're they're not going to be poor over the next few years. No. No. Yeah. Show me on this doll where uh, Trump hurt you at. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I, I I do. I mean, I wouldn't call it Trump disorder. I would I would call it um, I would call it some sort of like political a political anxiety disorder. I, I've never in my lifetime um, seen so much angst over the world of politics. Yeah, I think you know? actually, but here I I don't know. I I think it comes from a person's perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like for for eight years, you know, I listened to a lot of 
fear porn news, basically. You know what I'm saying yeah. with with Obama. So I had some anxiety also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I made I made financial business moves due to what I, what I thought Obama may do. So yeah. I, I think it just I think it shifts yeah. to a perspective. So yeah. so maybe the anxiety disorder isn't about Obama or Trump or Bush or whoever the next guy is or next lady is. Maybe it's maybe it goes all the way back to the um, the temptation of the knowledge of good and evil that we we I don't know that we were ever meant to have this much knowledge at the tip of our fingers. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I no, think that's a good question. I think people have got too much. They have access to too much too fast, hmm. and that creates anxiety. Yeah. Well, it's just kind of that's kind of like if you have. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't remember the name of the, the concept in psychology, but basically if you have a starving person and all of a sudden you, you put them in front of a buffet, yeah. they would just engorge themselves to yeah. the point of death. Yeah. And it's kind of like what we have too with, with news and and entertainment and et cetera. So. Well, the, one of the definitions of Trump anxiety disorder includes a feeling of loss of control and helplessness and fretting about what's happening in the country and spending excessive time on social media. That's it. That's so I it. think that's the key right there is yeah. everybody yeah. is just 24-7 got to be plugged in because heaven forbid your phone goes off and you don't check it. You know, like yeah. a, a message comes through or a ding happens and you're like, ah. You know, you I, know? I've uh, ironically today on our on my one of my social media platforms, I mm. was kind of just perusing uh, between the uh, – the ads for vehicles and things I would normally look at at certain times of day. Just happened to notice the feeds and one of our former guests and uh, Facebook friends uh, made a post about how um, he, he, I would, he would probably classify himself as with a Trump disorder because he is posted very often Mm. on his business page, Mm. personal identity um, with his disdain for the presidency and Mm. his support for, uh, people like Bernie Sanders and things like that. Gotcha. So he's he's gone from, you know, he's probably almost seventy percent down in business right now. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow! And so the Trump disorder is obviously compounded by yeah. the financial woes now that he's yeah. taken. He and of course he he takes it from a stance of being a political martyr, and it just compounds. Compounds. The whole, compounds. I, I I would just <clears throat> remind people that this dude. I mean, I. I I don't agree with much of anything that he says or does. And I think if you looked at the last 30 years of your life, of his life, you probably wouldn't either. So I I would just remind us that at most he's going to be around eight years. God help us, but (laughs) probably four years. So let's pump the brakes on the apocalypse happening. I mean, it happens every presence. It does. It does. And, and I'm not saying he's good and he, and I, (laughs) whatever (laughs) (laughs) you he says it himself. Just look at his his last thing down in Tampa, Florida. Can, so, can I play that for you? By yeah, the way? go ahead. So here's here's Trump, and I'll let you guys see it. And this owns me like none other. So here he goes. Came out with a poll. Did you hear? The most popular person in the history of the Republican Party <laughs> is Trump. Can you believe this? I don't know how accurate that is. I. <laughs> But then he's going around and he's making a victory lap. He's <laughs> just point. like, I let's <laughs> let's just remember hold, this guy was a Democrat. Hold on, hold on. He's a Democrat four years ago. Yep. But here we go. So I said, 
Does that include Honest Abe Lincoln? You know, he was pretty good, right? Oh, my God. Remember I said when I'd be a little bit wild and would have a lot of fun, they'd say, he's not acting presidential. And I'd say, well, it's a lot easier to act presidential than to do what I do. <laughs> Anybody can act presidential. This is the leader of the free world. Now watch. Now, guys, watch this. He's going to do his impression of somebody being presidential. Honest Abe. Yeah. Y'all. Listen. The leader of the free world. Listen. I, and that's what I say like. Here he goes. Ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hold on. The state of Florida. Thank you very much for being here. Hold on. You are tremendous people. And I will leave now because I am boring you to death. <laughs> and now he does his Mr. Roboto. <laughs> but come on, you got you got to give it to the guy. The guy knows how to read his audience. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because that's exactly what they're, he's looking for. Oh yeah, is, is, is some type of humor and you know seeing that human. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. Uh, it's, it owns me. It, it's, it's hilarious so because as an independent, you know, that doesn't drive me. But I can see right. people that dig it, that dig into that. Right. So, I mean, it is, it is, but it's, it's, and I think, I think this is, <laughs> I do, I do want to say this. Like, I, I think that, um, and I think that there is something to the Trump anxiety disorder. And that is, you have no idea what you're going to get. And, yeah, and there's some, I'll give there you that. should be and we we all need a sense of stability. Stability and security and like just somebody who has their head on straight. You may not agree with their policies. And probably every 4 to 8 years you're not going to agree with the president's mm-hmm. policies. That's fine. But just give us a sense of of stability and security that you're not going to do something crazy. Well, once again, I think that I think that falls down the political persuasion that you come from, because as a conservative, fiscally conser- very fiscally conservative person, you never had that with the with the previous eight years of Obama. You never did, because I could, you know, I don't, I'm not no, even talking. I'm not even talking about the social changes that he implemented. Because, I'm not talking about policy. I'm not talking about policy. I'm talking about. I'm talking about how a person, um, their posture and how they hold themselves and how they, how they speak to the rest of the world well, and how they get, communicate. Like sure. that is those things give us as, as people a sense of stability and we, we know what to expect. I think, I think that's once again, I think that is, but falls down the side of political persuasion because yeah. because how many conservatives did you see come out when Obama flew to Saudi Arabia for the first time and came out and bowed before the king, like no president shall bow. That was a, that was her comments. Or when he uh, Obama went to Japan for the first time and 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 bowed his head or went to you know you, example after example yeah. or or considering himself a rock a rock star speaking in. In the throes of in downtown Berlin, you know, yeah, man, the, the, you can't compare you. You can't compare that video. I, I'm just, I'm no. You can't compare that video to you. You may not. You may not like the last eight years. You may not like the last sixteen years. Whatever. Like I'm watching. I'm watching a documentary about George W. right now. Like his his 
uh, rating at the end of his presidency was under 15%. Hmm. I mean, you may not like that. You may not like him. You may not like his policies. But the last 16 years have not been that. That is, that's a clown show. That well, is that, and and that, and I'm just I'm just gonna affirm like what people are feeling because it makes me feel that that I have no idea. Well, who you're you're, is. Affir- you're affirming what a certain part of this country feels. It's not mm-hmm. there's 330 million people. There's what 180 eligible, th- 180 million eligible voters. All of them don't feel that way. A lot of them, you you, you go ask an ex vet. Majority of them are, are more ex-vets and current serving military are, are conservatives. There's a few out there that aren't, but you ask them, they are extremely proud of, you know, of their commander in chief. And a lot of, even ex would consider him commander in chief. They are proud of what he's doing. I think, it, I think it, you have to divide the segments of society to find the, to find the ones that, that may fall in the camp. That you're you're speaking of. I mean, it's, it's broad brush, and you know, there's things I there's things I like that he does. There's things I don't like that he does. I, I'm I can divorce myself from the man from day to day. You know, divorce myself from his policies to to personality. I don't. One one thing that we have about this enduring experiment called America, this this republic, not a democracy. This republic that we have is that we do have a form of checks and balances. No matter no matter how he presents himself, he could go, yeah. you know, he could go to the uh, to the chairman of China and moon him. <laughs> That's not going to matter because number one, they export more to us. Where we're basically their economy or their whole export economy, and they hold a lot of our debt. So it. Regardless of what he does, he embarrassed the hell out of us. It's still going to come down to what money. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. If we are not, we are not experiencing the repercussions of his inability to, his inability to relate to and communicate with the rest of the world. Like I just finished building a house, mm-hmm. and while my house was being built the price of lumber doubled. Now my parents are building a house and the price of lumber has tripled since the, since, I mean, and that's just in two years. Like we are, we are experiencing some very high tensions that, that I think, and I'm, well, I, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I know that, I know this is a funny segment. There's a funny segment of that <laughs> some okay. people are no, going no. to sit in the therapist chair and saying, I have Trump anxiety disorder. Right. And it's ridiculous. But I also would say. You can't that, call out of work for that, though, I will say. I've already tried. I don't there, know. I don't there, know. Is, there is, I think, an anxiety that comes with not knowing what to expect from those who are leading you. And, and I don't know if that's just Trump. I think that's well, if, you're, if you don't know what your boss to expect from your boss, you're going into work every day. Not knowing if you're going to have a job tomorrow, but so. to and to defend the point though is is the segment that there's not not everybody is experiencing the Trump anxiety disorder. There are people that look at him and you know how he how he acts and supports that. Now, you know whether that's good or bad, but there are people that will say I like this wild card and I support him even because he is a wild card. So it's it's not everybody feels like that. It's just. A group of people, like you were saying, probably fifty percent of America. That, nah, no way. <clears throat> that don't like his antics, and so there's I, other people that so do I, like it. But also, going back to the lumber thing, that that is a very micro level 
micro level uh, event that has happened in your life that happened to happen in the, in the correct time or at this perfect zone of when you were building your house. You know, things that have happened, like for example, oil. Oil raised up to a certain mm-hmm. to a certain value, where all of a sudden we now have some of the largest oil production and, and jobs back in the old economy, Houston, South Dakota, North Dakota. <laughs> Um, California, these these oil old derricks have been vacant for years. Have now started pres- pro- uh, processing again due to the rise in oil, and that's been because of our some of our economic policies. Not saying I want to pay it's an exorbitant amount of for fuel, but it's put a lot of people back to work. Mm-hmm. It's dropped it's dropped the unemployment. As, that is a ma- that is a larger macro level that we're looking at. I, I hate that you had to pay twice double for lumber. I, I hate that, but um, that's just a very micro level event that you've experienced. So yeah, we're paying next instead of four dollars for a sheet of plywood, we're paying you know eighteen to thirty dollars for a sheet of plywood. Sure. Like, hey, it's a you, you talk about twenty two bullets during Obama. <laughs> <laughs> that that yeah, went up like right. crazy. <laughs> yep. He was the number one gun salesman in the world. He was. <laughs> so all I'm saying is, there's two sides to every story on the Trump anxiety. Some some people fall into that camp. Some people. I just like it. if it was more than fifty percent. I think you would see mass rioting in a, in a coup d'état in the in the streets. I think you would see uh, very dis, uh, very because we aren't beholden to leaders like other third world other countries, other third world countries. Look at the look at the loyalty that Putin. No, here's here's what's happening. There is like people revolting, but our revolt is sitting behind our screen because we don't want yes. actually want to get up and do. Well, something I'm saying, about it. And, look, and and we're going to revolt. Listen, we're going to find out. We're gonna find out in a couple months. Like, in this in this. So, what, what's your prediction here on the show? What's your prediction? Oh, a couple months. Is he gonna get a profit star? I would I would <laughs> say that that we will see the some of the largest. And I, I'm not a historian, so some of the largest voter turnout that we've ever seen in in my lifetime. I would I would say that the, we're gonna for see the 2018 for the 2018, and 18. then for the 2020. It will be historic, and so and I you, think so. You're saying that if we go down, so right now we have historically low unemployment. We we, we can debate who who's the direct uh, causality of that, but it happens to fall on Trump's watch. Mm-hmm. And if it continues for another 24 consecutive months, when the you know uh, general election happens in 2020, you have historically low black black unemployment right now since 1969 or since whenever they've been recording unemployment, you have a 4.1 GDP growth uh, right now. Um, and they're predicting that to continue to, to stay at four to three, whatever. That's, that's huge. That's historical. He, I mean, I'm not saying he is no Sardamus here in predicting, but which also you, happened, but, which also happened during Obama's presidency. Obama didn't have a 4.1% growth. He had, there were he had, years. He had a, a 1.2%. I think it was when you flatlined it out over his eight years, he had a 1.2% GDP growth. I'm just saying that in the first two years for him to go from 2.0 from flatline, flatline GDP to 2.0 and also in 4.1 in this, in the second quarter when they just released the numbers last week, it's going to be hard for this massive voter turnout to come and come out and all of a sudden revolt in the streets. If it does, and all of a sudden it swings to, to Trump and there is this, you know, 70, 60% of America dislikes Trump, you're going to see massive civil war. I just don't see, I just don't see it happening. I, 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 I don't think it will happen. I don't think the numbers support it. I, I don't think there's this blue wave of democratic socialists like, um, 
uh, Bernie Sanders and the uh, chick from New York, I can't remember her name, who just won a congressional seat. Yeah, they, neither uh, of them will. Neither of them will I, be I, the I, candidates. I just, so. I, I don't think that there, there's there's this huge wave of that happening because guess what? Prosperity speaks prosperity. Pro- prosperity is why is what's going to lead the way in 2020. I, I mean, hopefully we're not that dumb though, because we had prosperity pre 2008. I mean, hopefully 2008. Hopefully we, you know. We're not dumb enough to, I mean, we are because we continue to repeat history, but, <laughs> you know, hopefully our memory isn't that, that short that we can have prosperity one year and then the next year, the whole thing goes away. And I, I, I do think that's just my prediction. You asked for my prediction. I yeah, think in yeah. 2018, it, there were, we're going to see a lot of seats flip from Republican to Democrat. And I think in 2020, it will be, it will be a historical turnout. And I, I'm not even convinced I, I'm actually I, I would predict that there will be a Republican raise up and run against Trump and and there is a very very good chance that they will beat Trump. I'm not um, I'm not I, I'm not opposed to that as yeah. a, I mean because I'm not a Republican, but um, as far as uh, we won't even see 2020 and Trump running rerunning in the general if Democrats do win in 2018 they have already announced that they will go ahead and start immediate impeachment proceedings. Yes. So I, we won't even see 2020. Biggin and Mojo, twenty twenty. That's what I'm predicting, dude. Let's go. I got I got so many skeletons in my closet. I would never want to run. Stop tweeting immediately. Be, no more be, tweeting. They're gonna, they gonna be trying to find all the strippers I paid off. That's what they're gonna say. No, I would never want to watch. <laughs> all right, y'all. We're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna have Matt Singleton. He's the author of a new look at an old world. Uh, so we'll be excited to have him on. You're listening to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's me, Bigging. Summer is made for grilling and chilling, and you too can be the baddest mother smoker on the block using our favorite award-winning smoking sauce. Bad Mother Smokers is perfect match for that favorite meat, veggies, or even that secret ingredient in a pot of chili. Check out badmothersmokers.com to place your order, and if you want to be a barbecue pit master like Mojo, enter the promo code MOJO for 10% off your order. Visit badmothersmokers.com or the sponsor section of our website at southernfriedphilosophy.com. Deep-seated in the American citizen is pride in his community as an expression of all that his country stands for, individual independence, with respect for the rights of others, born of the concept that all men are free and equal. Welcome back to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. On the line tonight, we have Matt Singleton. Matt is the author of A New Look at an Old World. Um, He is a um, graduate of Boyce uh, Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in Kentucky, also holds a master from my alma mater, Campbellsville University. He's also an author, preacher, radio talk show host, and actively involved in uh, the Louisville politics. So, uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, JT. Really appreciate it. Boyce College is where I went. It's 
it's kind of like it's at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's uh, very, very closely related. In fact, they would like to say that we're down the hill from them, but actually we're on a hill of our own, so we kind of repeat that back. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. So Boys College, very close to Southern Theological Seminary in Louisville. Got it. Just right down the hill. Um, Matt, tell us a little bit about the book, kind of what got you started. Why, uh, why do you feel like you wanted to put that out, and what's the, what's the book about? All right, so basically a long, long time ago, I was at Campbellsville University. Um, later on, I got my master's degree at a uh, campus in Louisville, but um, I was at there, and uh, I met some very important people. I think the most was um, just really uh, meeting God on a more personal level. And um, when I did that, um, I had a... Um, interaction with a uh, friend of ours named uh, Jack Daniel Taylor, and basically name, um, I was missing a, a key, and uh, he gave me a flashlight, and I tried to find the key, and I had this experience with God where uh, the passage where Jesus is talking to Peter after the resurrection, um, he says, do you love me, Peter? And he says, feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. And that hit me very hard because, number one, I did not know the Bible well enough to know that he said lambs first. I just mm-hmm. knew that he said, feed my sheep. The other thing was that um, at, at the end, instead of him saying, Peter, do you love me? I hear the word Matthew. So um, that powerful experience really kind of drove me. And then I met another important person, and his name was J.T. Patton. What? Uh, <laughs> don't bring me into this. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, basically, you know, it probably wasn't legal for BSU to be as, um, you know, so spirit active and stuff like that. But anyway, <laughs> um, basically, uh, you know, God moved on me very powerfully. And um, things happen, usually in terms of like being able to pay tuition. So uh, a friend of mine uh, took me to a Bible college called Boyce College. It was just right there in my hometown of Louisville. Okay. So... I'm studying the scriptures, and um, really early on, I felt a deep conviction from God. You know, I felt that God had personally uh, talked to me and ordained me to go into ministry and stuff. And as I'm reading His Word, there there are a lot of things that are, you know, um, conflicting and harsh when you're first reading the Bible for the first time. And I'm wanting to, you know, I'm reading the Bible, it says, let few of you assume to be teachers, and basically, um, as I'm studying the scriptures, I'm just really, I mean, scared to death of like, you know, ever teaching falsely and stuff like that. So a real big part of um, my ministry was just this idea of trying to, you know, make sure I'm teaching the truth and stuff like that, because I love and fear God. And so um, I got into a lot of different... Um, versions of the Bible. My church did NIV. The um, boys told people to go with the NASB. And then uh, I went and bought about 40 translations of the New Testament myself. Uh, I didn't get a probably 24, 25 versions of the Old Testament as well. Um, And, you know, it's just like, you know, you get into it and you just love the different nuances and stuff. I just want to learn as much as I could. And basically they taught me at Boyce that the Bible was inspired without any error in its original documents. And I was flabbergasted. I was like, wow, it is that strong, that true. 
but then like there's a little tag on the end that I didn't notice for a while. And then I started to think about it my senior year. And that was like these original autographs and stuff like that. And uh, basically the way I figured it, well, God preserved the word and he inspired the word, but maybe like, you know, maybe God preserved the word a little bit while he inspired it totally at that time. And I was okay with that. In fact, I remember uh, teaching a youth group at um, Valley View Baptist Church, and I was teaching them, and they asked me, because there was an independent Baptist church that worked with them, and they asked me about the King James stuff, and I kind of laughed it off, to be honest with you. Um, Basically, I was like, well, I mean, there are some things King James got it right over some others on some instances, but, you know, that's just crazy, you know, Uh, because I was taught that... um, the uh, earliest texts uh, go against some of these passages, like Mark 16, uh, which talks about the resurrection, and then John chapter 8, which talks about um, the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. And I would experience people who did struggle because of these things, like, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, anyhow, so basically we go to Campbellsville, and Campbellsville, I'm, you know, very much in a conservative tone. Um, it's the faculties really divided up. The majority would hold to a view that was called neo-orthodoxy, which believed that there was inspiration inside the Bible, but that not all of the Bible was inspired. And um, there were some conservatives who were teaching there, too, but that was the majority was of a neo-orthodox view. So I took, um, I took this class with this one uh, theologian uh, from my theology class, and he started instantly talking about inerrancy. And he said, you know, we've got Mark chapter 16, 1 through 9. We've got Mark chapter 16, 1 through 20. And then we have the Caesarean text. Or, you know, you don't have it, but I got it. The Caesarean text, and it's a little bit of a mixture of two. So basically, um, he's like, which one, if the Bible's without error, which manuscript is without error? Mm-hmm. And he pointed to other examples, like the New Revised Standard Version had some extra uh, verses in some of their Bibles that um, we don't, in the at least in the tradition I came from, uh, when it comes to that. Mm. So this kind of led me on this journey of figuring out, okay, well, I believe that the Bible's inspired without error. Which text is it? Eventually, after about two years, um, I, I settled down on the Hebrew and Masoretic text and the Texas Receptus, uh, that were used for the King James Version. And I believe that basically God has preserved his word for us, for the common man. In other words, like, if you go as a pastor and you want to, like, know what the Bible says, mm-hmm. then according to this philosophy, well, you need to study 27,000 manuscripts to get some sort of certainty. Or you could slim it down to 6,000, or you could slim it down to... Uh, 30 Nessalolan texts and 10 UBS texts. Um, but basically, there's a lot of work to be done. Or you can just go along with whatever systematic theology that you're in. Meanwhile, if you believe that God preserved the Word for us, then basically you can pretty much get it from the King James that you'll find at the Dollar Tree for a dollar and six cents. Let's talk about the book, though. So o- overall, your context of 
um, a, a new look at an old world. Where we're going with that is from your perspective and, and your research, you're saying that the authorized King James Version is the closest translation that we have to the original manuscripts. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, basically, I would hold it as like um, it's the authorized version or like a, a good word would be the standard English Bible. And, you know, you have God working through what we call providence and stuff like that mm -hmm. when it comes to translation. Um, it's considered one of the greatest pieces of literary English, so it's a pretty good one. But I'm not arguing that every single word that was translated was the absolute perfect. Mm -hmm. But if you study the context long enough, like the word baptism, I think it would be better, in my mind, to have translated that immersion. But if you study the word baptism used in the Bible, I think you can come to that conclusion that it must have been by immersion. Okay. So you, you can basically get the context of it and get it right, um, even though there might be saying, like, like, people could argue, well, this is a better word. And, of course, the problem is with translation is that it might be the better word for somebody, but it might not be mm -hmm. the better word for somebody else. Yeah, and we see, so, that, we see that going on now, even through translations, where... Even politically, and, and I'll agree with this, that even politically they're starting to take some words out that are um, argumentative and then and replace those with other words that may be more suited to yeah. to uh, whatever well, agenda and, and is. Here's, here's one of the things. Even um, a guy named James White, who would be my, you know, I mean, he wouldn't recognize me as anybody, but he would be like my arch rival in this argument. <laughs> he admitted that there was a glut of translations. And, you know, glut is just a stupid way of saying gluttony. In other words, there's too many Bible translations. So it's like, a, you know, like the English language changes every year, and you, you know, got to right. keep up or something. So what happens is that they're getting away with really doing a lot of crime to the text under the, under the guise of, like, well, we got a contemporary translation and stuff like that. Sometimes, like... There's arguable stuff, and then sometimes there's, like, obvious stuff. And, you know, there is, a, there is a deal where if you have a massive amount of translations, like, let's say, like, the word fornication. Careful. Okay, fornication. Matt, this is a, this is a family show. you got to watch out now. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, basically that, that is a word that we understand, and basically we understand it to be a sin and stuff like that, and yet they'll, like, replace it. Uh, maybe a partner or something, you know, they'll, they'll use other words that mm -hmm. we're not as familiar with. Right. Well, if people are already familiar with the term, it's almost like you're changing the theology. Even like, you know, like the New Living yeah. Translation, which I really I really like that of the dynamic versions, but the New Living Translation will translate um, grace into some sort of like, you know, free gift or something like that. And the problem is that you know, if you grew up in church, you already understand, like, grace is a, is a theological term. And, you know, you could kind of lose a little bit of meaning just by, you know, getting a new term. Um, so, one example that I'm—okay, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. One example that I feel for both sides on, but I kind of see the more practical problem, is the translation of hell. Uh, now, most of them are going from hell to Hades. And theologically, I agree, because I believe in Revelation there's two compartments of hell, that there's an afterlife, and there's a final judgment lake of fire, often uh, translated Gehenna. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that, but the problem is, is that if you, you know, take the word hell out of, you know, a couple hundred different references, that gets that less in the mind of the person. And then when we think about theology today, less people have a orthodox understanding of hell. You know, I mean, less Christians, Bible-reading Christians, less of them have that understanding. And so I wonder, could it be something that weakens it? I didn't put a lot of that argument in necessarily mm. because it, it gets a little bit complex, but there's a, there's a point to be made. So uh, I, I think where, <clears throat> oh, I think overall what your heart is saying is just you want to make sure that as that that you get as close to the original context so that um, as the translations have uh, become more contemporary, that it doesn't lose the the poignancy and the theology, not even theology, but just the poignancy of those words. And you don't want to replace it at some point Jesus with a with a unicorn. Is that kind of where you're going with that? Yeah, basically, um, there is a bit of a and in examples where we're already seeing today. I'll be honest with you. When you look at like um, you know, you go to Walmart and you find the Bible and it says the message. For um, I believe the message is less accurate than the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation. The big deal. But the message actually has a passage where it says in, in John three sixteen, instead of like, you know, um, believing in him, you'll have like uh, everlasting life. Uh, it says whole and lasting life. Like you're guaranteed a good life instead of guaranteed heaven and everlasting life. I, I and, would, I would um, think that would be a, a poor understanding of what Eugene Peterson meant by that, by that word. I, I mean, reading Eugene Peterson, he most definitely believes in the afterlife of heaven and hell, and so he's not just talking about having a whole and good life, but that's just that. That's a that that means that uh, this this is what I hear is that the people who translated the King James version because it's a translation by human beings from the original text, and so the people that translated the King James version they had pure hearts. And they were more connected to the intent of the text than what someone like Eugene Peterson is. And so when Eugene Peterson goes through, who was someone who <laughs> spoke fluent Hebrew. <laughs> so let's not, let's not forget that Eugene Peterson was somebody that would sit down here and, and speak another language that the Old Testament is written in. So yeah. someone that speaks I mean, fluently Hebrew, about, though, and so okay. he, if, hold on, hold on. So, so you, what you would be saying is that the the translators, the people who translated the King James version, had pure hearts and a better understanding of the intent intent of the authors of Scripture than someone like Eugene Peterson who wrote the message, or the the group of people that translated the. New International Version, or the group of people that translated the NASB, or the NLT, or whatever it may be. And so, it, that's a, for me, that, I mean, w- the understanding is that all of these translations, if they're translated into English, they're translated by human beings. That, I mean, we can't get well, around so that. Well, so are the prophets. They were human beings, too. Sure. So, how do we determine that the King James Version... I, I want you to help me understand this. How do we okay. determine that the King James Version in English is has less of a fingerprint of humanity than the NIV? Mm-hmm. How, how, how can well, we argue that? Okay. So basically, um, one thing to remember, because like you brought up Eugene Peterson a lot, 
um, it wouldn't matter if Eugene Peterson was outside of translating that, a perfect human being who just never did anything wrong, but then he wrote this as a translation. And, of course, it was a quote-unquote paraphrase, but the problem is is that if you're at Walmart, you're seeing that is labeled as a Bible, and you're reading what the words say. So in other words, like if it has flaws, it just has flaws. I'm not out here to say then Eugene Peterson must be a demon so, or so what, like So what that. makes it have flaws? Because uh, what I'm hearing is if I, if I get up on Sunday and instead of using the word grace, I use the phrase free gift. Is that a flaw? Or, or yeah. instead of using the word heaven, I talk about... I, I talk about shalom and being made whole or the idea of peace for all eternity. Like, yeah. is that a, is that a flaw? Okay. So there's a couple things that go on here. First of all, it's when we're talking about this issue and you read through the book, it's not just talking about the translation. It's also acting about what the manuscripts are. In other words, when verses get taken out and thrown back in and taken out again, because after all, it's not easy to read if it's not in there at all, okay? So that's the first part. The second part is, what is the philosophy of the translator? Now, he was doing a paraphrase, which, with a paraphrase, he's decided that he can go into the mind of the apostle and tell you what they meant to say. All right, so in other words, he's acting as a preacher, but he's acting as a preacher in the text. Sure, and you, you do see, that, the, too. The preacher does have a job to kind of make things in a dynamic way, and show you what this uh, also means in our modern context, and gives you illustrations. So that is something that is very easy for us, you know, in ministry to get um, confused about. But basically, you have to have... uh, The the problem is that once you start doing that, then whatever personality issues that you have will bleed through. Whereas what you really want is you want a word-for-word translation. And a word-for-word translation you're really focused on just giving the information out of what the text is saying. So what happens, saying, what well, happens when you... I'm going to figure you, out what the uh, author or the yeah. prophet or whatever is thinking. What happens when you come to, like, a word like Paul uses in Philippians chapter 3 that is never used? It's only used one time by Paul. Mm-hmm. What, what do we do then? Like, how, how do you in an English translation, because, because I, I feel like it's, it, this, this, this whole argument comes down to like just a couple words. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so you come across this word that is rarely used in the Greek language. Yeah. And who do we believe? Who, who yeah. had the, who had the word for word phrase? Cause what I'm hearing is that that makes, that makes the translation um, not inerrant. I'm not hearing you say that because every translation has its flaws, but it it puts one translation above another. So there are a lot of there are a lot of holes that I, I see. I, I mean, I'm okay if well, you, me, I'm okay if you just this because um, I put this also in my um, my chapter dealing with translation, and that is the fact that there are Bibles that I label good enough. In other words, like you know, if you had a Geneva Bible. I'm not throwing up a big deal. If you use what's called the MEV, which is a 2014 translation of that text, or the AV07, for instance, um, these are translations of those Greek and Hebrew texts, and they're good enough. 
The issue with a authorized translation or a standard text is for unity, is for unity of the, of the people. And I, I tell people like this, um, when we look at our nation right now, our nation is divided and fighting with each other because we are no longer what Abraham Lincoln said was one nation under God. That was the unifier to keep people from tearing each other apart. And in the Christian church, the unifier was, or specifically we'll say Protestants, uh, and it was recognized by the Supreme Court, by the way, they, they, they noticed this, that the uh, Protestant sects, the Bible was uh, what they called the King James Version. Originally it was just called the Holy Bible, later on the Authorized Version, and then later on it was King James. But basically it was a unifier so that any common person can say, I read the Word of God and I can understand it. Otherwise, they are under the control of whatever pastor is ahead of them. The, the pastor becomes like a guru, and they have this mm-hmm. spiritual power because they have the text and you don't. Wasn't the, that, that, the guys that translated that the King James of, Version under the control of King James? Uh, no. They were the, King James King actually Jimmy. just had the production made. He, he, he authorized it in the sense of like saying... We need to make a common Bible for everybody mm-hmm. so that we don't go nuts. Because that's what was happening in the 1600s. You had the Reformers and the Anglicans and Puritans and, you know, these so, different groups. Hold on one second. So, really... so this guy, King James, who has a lot of power, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. This guy who has a lot of power says, we need a translation that we can all use. Yes. And these guys were appointed to translate this text for the king and you're telling me that they would not have been under under the influence of the king that's what you're telling me um, he did not he did not like supervise it he kind of gave up on it by the time it was done because it was never by law like the the previous bishop's bible was something that everybody was forced under but it was never put by law to go with the authorized version what eventually happened was it was uh, it became the most popular by the end of the 1700s, and so most of the places they they were like you know in America and England they had already had freedom and stuff like that. 1646 they already had a uh, set up with Parliament and everything else. Um, what it was is that they were doing very good scholarship, and what you have to understand, and this is hard for us modernists to understand. We live in this modern world. We think we got the edge. They had manuscripts, they had read manuscripts that we've never read before, because those manuscripts got deteriorated and, and just blew away before archaeology and all that kind of stuff in the 1800s. And so they had a lot more access to things. All their technology was based on literature. Everything that they would do when it came to scholarship had to do with literature and learning languages and printing. You see what I'm saying? This was their focus. They took 15 ancient translation manuscripts and compared them alongside the Texas Receptus, which also got dealt with by several reformers and stuff like that. And I go through with a lot more details in the book, obviously. So the the proof is in the pudding. You, you know, you got to read after that because I can say a statement and we can disagree or whatever, but you know, that, that's my contention from the book. I'll tell you what, you said the magic word pudding and I'm, I'm kind of getting hungry now. Um, so Matt, what, so let me ask this question. So if, if you use an American standard, uh, or American King or authorized King James version versus like an NIV, what are some theological deal breakers that are in the two? So you, 
how is it, how is a, a believer not going to understand the full the fullness of of the gospels or or the the text by using the NIV versus the AKV AKJ? Okay. Now the NIV was the first Bible I read, and I do not contend. And in, in fact, guys who are more King James only than I am would not contend that it stops you from evangelizing. In other words, like, you can read NIV and come to Jesus, no problem at all. Um, but there are things that do mess with the manuscripts that really hit me hard and make me angry, okay? Um, can you give me one, one issue, example? Yeah. John chapter 7, uh, verse 6, and also you skip down to verse 14. And what it is is that and this is in the this is a Greek issue. It's not just you know, King James versus NIV. It's the Alexander text versus Texas Receptus. And there's in the uh, Texas Receptus, they asked Jesus if he was going to go to the Passover, and Jesus replies, "I'm not going over there yet." And in the um, Alexandrian text, it says, "I'm not going over there." Well, then you skip down verse 14, and there he shows up at the party. Well, obviously. You know, and this doesn't sound like a big deal at first, but obviously, you know, he's there, and if he said he wasn't there, then he's telling a fib. Well, you know, you might say, well, that's no big deal. You know, Jesus must be okay with fibs. But, you know, Jesus also says, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. So, like, if his nay wasn't nay, then that, by his own rules, disqualifying himself as being sinless and perfect. Well, see, I would. I, there's no way I would make that connection whatsoever. Like, I, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't buy that one. Um, just, just on the the one, the one word yet, um, or, or I'm not going. Okay. Like, that's that's a well, that's and, that, and that's where we're just we're, we're just gonna hit a wall there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like honestly, like I get ticked off at that. Okay. okay. You don't you don't worry about it, and you know we're just gonna like get all ticked off if we keep on going down the <laughs> I'm road. Not ticked off. But obviously that's that's the way I feel convicted about it. I'm still it. thinking about pudding. So hold on one second. I'm I'm looking at the text here. All right. Um I'll, I'll go along with you. I'll bite on it. Um Poor I'm, Mojo. I'm, I'm sitting over there. I'm, just looking, I'm <laughs> looking at the text. And and okay, so you're saying verse verse uh eight. You go. You go. By the way, I I went from memory, so let me just make sure I got it right. I got it right here in front of me on my iPhone. Um, You go up. So it's um, (laughs) seven six, not eight. Yep, seven seven six. You go up to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to this feast. This is the NET, okay? The NET version. Um, So I'm reading that. I'm. I am not going up to this feast because my time is not yet fully arrived. We skip down to verse fourteen. When the feast was half over, Jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach. All right, so that's your that's your issue that he said he wasn't, but then he did. All right, so then we flip over here to the King James Version. Thank you for the iPhone and the Bible app here. And we see in verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always, always ready. And then verse 14, Now about... At the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. There's no difference. There's there's absolutely zero difference. In the King James Version, Jesus says, it's not my time yet. And then seven verses later, he's like, then the writer, John, the author, writes in that he went up to the temple. So why, 
Why, why is that an well, argument for the you, King James? We were talking about, like, NIV. So I don't know. Every, you know, a lot of translations are different. And if they get it right, praise God. Okay. But um, I'd have to kind of, like, do a little bit of looking for a minute to kind of find that just to make sure I got so it right. the NIV, verse 6, says, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. We flip down, verse 14. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The, all three translations are the exact same. They're, they're the exact same. So you, you're using that as an argument. I, the, uh, this conversation with you about the King James Version isn't my first rodeo. I had a, I had a next-door neighbor that I lived next to for eight years who insisted that I wasn't a pastor because I didn't read the King James Version and that our church wasn't real church because we didn't read the King James Version. So this isn't my first rodeo. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking if you're going to make that, that scripture um, a point of contention to say the King James Version is the best translation, what the heck are we talking about? Okay. Well, first of all, like, you keep on going back to translation. What? That's a problem. What are we talking We're about? We're talking about the text. We're talking about the same Greek and Hebrew Bibles. They're changing the Greek and Hebrew Bibles. Okay? They're not just playing around with translation. But did, okay? the King James Version... Don't ever the... straw man on that, okay? Hold on. It's not just about that. It's when they oh. take about whole verses. But the King James okay? Version and the NIV are the exact same. They're the exact same. They're the exact same. They, they, I mean, outside of like... A couple words on how they how they decide to make it into English, like write it in actual English. the The story is the same. Jesus said, "It's not my time, but you can go up." And then seven verses later, we see Jesus up in the temple teaching. I'm I would love to be, and you you seem to be an expert, man. I, I'm I have unbelievable respect for you because whenever I talk to my neighbor, he didn't know anything he was talking about. So. <laughs> He yeah. just he just knew what kind of cigarettes he liked, and so. Um, <laughs> oh, and I, and now, I understand that there's some people. You, listen, you sound happens, you okay? sound like you sound a like an people, expert. Okay. I'm asking you to to convince me why, like, why is the King James version? I mean, it's 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 been around a long time, 1611. Like, tell me. Well, originally, why had the apocrypha in it too? Oh yeah, it did. Apocrypha. How? Why is this the best translation? Why have you? Why have you given your life work to arguing that the King James Version is the 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 best? And I'm not saying you don't say that some are, aren't good enough, because you did, but you're saying that the King James Version and the translators of the King James Version, man, they hit a home run. They did it the best that we'll ever have it. Why are you, like, convince me of that. Why? Okay. Uh, number one, it is considered one of the greatest literary works of English. What, what is a translation if it's not good literature? Okay, and do you believe that, like, the original languages are bad literature? If it's considered by atheists, okay, you can even go and check out Richard Dawkins' book, okay, The God Delusion. He spends about three or four pages talking about how the King James should be in public schools because of its literary history and all the poetry that surrounds it. It's so impactful that even a God-hater would say, you know, we need to be made aware of this thing. We need to be made aware of all this great literature to help people understand and grow. What's happened is that our culture is anti-literacy. And since we're anti-literacy, what was easy to read 
is now made hard because people just don't read it all. All right, what's okay? point number two? So if it's, if it's like, you know, the greatest piece of literature ever, and if it's consistently what was, you know, written down and brought forth from the Church, because the Bible talks about how the Church is the pillar of truth, and it talks about how the Word of God is preserved for us, and the Gospel is there for us, First uh, Peter 1, 23-25. If that's true, then we should go along with that. And there's nothing wrong—remember, I'm not trying to go on the extreme here, okay? There's nothing wrong. If you want to bring an NIV to a church that I was pastoring, whoop-de-doo. Good for you. Have fun with it, okay? I'm not here to make rules against you and call you names or anything like that. I'm saying out of my conviction, and a conviction that has really made me economically suffer for a large you know, part of my life since then, this conviction, I believe, is because— we want to be able to trust God's Word, that He's really speaking to us. And this is how that works. But as far as the little issues of like, well, is this the best Word? That's where, you know, we can have some freedom and we can uh, discuss that and stuff. But we need to be unified. The, the common people need to be able to read the Bible and believe that it's the Bible. And so I believe that God made it that way so that we could actually trust His Word, that He's actually brought this by providence. I didn't get sold on this the first time I ever talked about it and stuff like that, so I don't blame you for disagreeing with me. Yeah, Matt, no, like I said, no, I, I have my own uh, bag of uh, burden with the church a lot of times, because I, I was away from the church for 15 years, and earlier you said something um, that uh, the KJ, or certain people that uh, translated the Bible, their personalities, their their you know their intellectual capabilities would come into the translation of the Bible. How, I, I guess I don't know is how do we not know that King James, who historically you know there 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 there's a lot of speculation this, that he actually could have been a homosexual king. How do we know not? How do we know that he didn't pigeonhole his translator court, who was not proficient in the original form of Greek, to people that were maybe persuasive to to his opinion? How do we know that? Also, well, also, hold on. Um, also, you know, certain words in English, Middle English, which was before King James, Old English, which is King James. But how do we how do we know that modern English or King James English um, doesn't translate? properly to Mandarin Chinese because there's Mandarin Chinese may lack those certain words. So they have to come up with the closest word that describes that. Wouldn't that be a false translation to King James and Mandarin? So the first thing is that I'm going to start with the last and kind of move up. Sure. (laughs) But um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a uh, Bible that is translated from the uh, Texas Receptus and Hebrew Masoretic text into another foreign language. Um, you would want for the church and for society to have a agreed-upon translation. That way people can agree with each other in the more general areas. Obviously, with a local church, you might have more convictions about an issue than the whole nation of Christians would. You see what I'm saying? I, I agree, so I agree with more, that. What I'm, what I'm saying, though, is yeah. that you know Hebrew. Hebrew is a very—it's not the romantic language like 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 French or something like that, but Hebrew is a very contextual poetic language. Like yes. one word, one word could have five meanings. One word could actually mean four or five words in English. So yeah. if we were to translate our simple simple English back to Hebrew, King James version of that Bible, 
there would probably be some lost meaning, some misinterpretation of it, or maybe interpretations that would not have a full meaning because... Well, here's, here's how they handle that, okay? Because this is very important. A lot of people don't get this side of the story. Uh, when we look at that, number one, um, in the Old Testament, you find it a bigger issue than the New Testament, okay? But you'll find these archaic words. Why are they using archaic words? They were even archaic for that time because of accuracy. You had these ancient Hebrews who were an archaic people. They were an agrarian farmers. They were not running around with, like, you know, PCs and Macs and all that kind of stuff. So basically, um, they're accurate over being easy to read in those areas for that context. But, you know, basically, um, it's one of these things about context. Everything, every definition is based on context. And if I said... You know, JT is like the baddest radio show guy on the planet. That'd be correct. Okay, well, am I using Michael Jackson bad, or am I talking about how he's, like, bad and he stinks? Okay, well, you got to look at the context. Usually it's just bad, but I'll say it's Michael Jackson bad for JT. (laughs) But, but, you know, I mean, basically, um, they did this on a very ingenious level. And while I don't say, well, that means we can poo-poo and not study Greek or Hebrew ever again, and I don't say that, like, well, the italicized words are just as inspired or anything like that. What I do say is that they were careful enough to where if you study the Bible all your life, you get the context of these things, and God will give you everything that he wants to give you. we we got to wrap up the interview. Um, so if somebody wants to pick up your book, um, where are they going to find it at? Okay. Uh, first of all, let me just say that, like, I really am honored and I appreciate you guys sure, yeah. for uh, being on here with me and stuff. I know some of this stuff is passionate. It's mm-hmm. very passionate yeah. and stuff, and so I don't want to come off like, you know, we're arguing or whatever. Oh, no. It's just like we care about God, right? Look, we we, so anyway, we we may have different views, but we uh, – and some different, you know, places where we like to highlight, but that, mm-hmm. that's all good. I mean, we're – we love to have – I personally, I love debate. I think it either makes you stronger or can change your opinion, one of the two. So I'm still waiting for the Urban yeah. Dictionary version. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I've heard Bible. Uh, so, and, you know, I named my ministry Bible Smack, if that helps you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's not like Bible Thumper and Talking Smack. Yeah, I got anyway, you. Anyway, um, you go to www.jcibooks, that means uh, Jesus Christ Internet Books, jcibooks.ecwid.com. And a friend of mine, uh, he's, a, he's a guy who works with a lot of death ministry and stuff named Richard Thompson. That's his website. And uh, you go there, and it'll show a new look at an old word. It's an old word, not an old world, because that's actually another book that I've made a pun off of, and I guess uh, that, that could go the wrong uh, way. There you go. There you go. All right, Matt. Well, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. We, we really appreciate you. Maybe we'll have you on again. And uh, debate this God bless you. Yeah, and I, I've, I've got a real big mouth. I can talk about all sorts of subjects. So, you know, we're, we're down with it. All right. <laughs> and good. I can be funny. JT will attest to that. <laughs> yeah, you can. Thanks, Matt. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right. God bless you. So, that was a, a college friend of mine, Matt uh, Singleton. Again, a new look to at an old word. If you want to pick that up, uh, feel free to. Um, for me, and I think we can all chime in on this one, is that, you know, whatever, whatever translation or whatever, as long as you're getting in it, I don't have a problem with that. I think, I think it's good. Yeah. 
even the dollar oh six dollar general. I think I'm good. You know, the whole time you kept saying Eugene Peterson, I kept thinking about the Seinfeld guy, uh, Mr. Peterman. I don't know why I have that that mental image on on uh, on that for. So anyway, so thanks for uh, tuning in. Yeah, go to Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher. Uh, download our podcast. Uh, subscribe. Give us a like. You can also follow us on uh, the interwebs. At SouthernFryPhilosophy.com. Also go to our Facebook and Twitters at SFP Radio and also uh, Facebook at Southern Fry Philosophy. Um, YouTube.com forward slash SFP Radio. Where's our Patreon link? Patreon.com forward slash SFP Radio. We're still waiting for our first one. There you go. And as always, keep looking up. 